some of you are wondering what's going on. Did we lose power? Did somebody forget their cue? If you're watching online, is there something wrong with my screen? Actually, everything's working exactly how we want it to right now. The only thing that's missing is light. We've come tonight to celebrate the birth of Christ. And as he grew and as he started to teach, one of the things that, or one of the metaphors that he used to describe himself was the light of the world. And this is hard for us to imagine what it's like to, to not have light because we live in a world that has only known what it's like to have light. We don't know what it's like to live in a world without light. In fact, most of the time, we have to work pretty hard to get away from the light, right? You got to go outside of the city limits. You got to get out into the country. You got to go somewhere, and then you can see the stars, right? We have, dark, we have room darkening shades that we put over our windows so we can get a good night's rest. For some of you, that's the only way you can sleep at night, right? In most respects, light is relatively easy. You just flip the switch, you pull the chain, you, 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 you push the button, you start the generator, and there's as much light as you possibly need. We don't know what it's like to live in a world without light, and one of the consequences of that is that nobody misses the light until it's gone. You don't miss something until you know it's gone, and in some respects, we take light for granted, because it's so easy for us, it's so readily available for us. And when we don't have it, we're a little lost, we're a little bit off kilter, we're a little bit discombobulated. There's your million dollar word for the night. We don't know what it's like to live in a world without light, much like we don't know what it's like to live in a world without Jesus. There was a time in history where there was no Jesus. And people, specifically the Jewish people, we're longing for and waiting for and praying for Jesus to come. And then when he finally came, there was light. There was life. The, the prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus, described it like this. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Christians believe. I believe that the light that Isaiah was talking about is Jesus. And the question I just want to wrestle with at some level tonight, whether you believe in Jesus, whether you believe he is who he says he is, uh, whether you're not sure you're investigating that, or maybe you don't buy it at all. Maybe you don't believe what we believe. But the question I think you should wrestle with is, is this, is it possible that we could be taking the light for granted? Is it possible that we could be taking the light for granted. We've never known a world without the impact of Jesus. Because you and I were born in the AD era, not in the BC era. So is it possible, much like the light we take for granted, that we could be taking him for granted? See, you guys showed up tonight um, expecting me to talk about the shepherds and the manger, Mary and Joseph and the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, and this good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
for a Savior has been born in the town of David. We know that story. We love that story. It's a story we come back to every year, but I think sometimes we lose the meaning of the story because we forget the why behind the story. And so for just a moment, I want to talk about the why behind the story. And the good news is, is that we actually have uh, in the Bible, the why behind the what explains the birth, this, this one in tens of thousands of births that year in Israel. What was so different about it? And the, the, the biblical author who gives us the why behind the story is a guy by the name of John. John uh, wasn't just an author of a, bio, of, a, of, a, of a book in the Bible. John was actually a follower of Jesus. He wasn't trying to follow Jesus. He wasn't looking to follow Jesus. But one day Jesus showed up and he said to John and John's brother, hey, would you guys want to follow me? And they did. Like literally. They followed Jesus wherever he went. And John came to the conclusion over those few years that Jesus was not just a good teacher, not just a good person, not just a miracle worker. John actually came to the conclusion that Jesus was, in fact, God in the flesh. And years later, he would sit down and write what we know of as the Gospel of John. There are three accounts of Jesus' birth in the Scripture, but John's is completely different than the other two. He, his account gives us the why behind the what. So in the first chapter of John, here's what he records. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And some of you, you've heard that your entire life, and you still wonder, what does that mean? Right? Well, John's audience was Greek thinking, he was writing to Greek-thinking people in a Greek worldview, and this, this word, the Greek word there is logos. Logos, and, and what John is talking about here carried a lot of uh, a philosophical baggage in a Greek-thinking world. They were concerned with answering the ultimate questions of reality. They were concerned with you know, the, the laws of the universe and the, the mechanics of science and logic and reason. Some of you think like that. So John is saying, in the beginning, this word, this, this logos, was the ultimate reality, the ultimate logic, the one that gave life and meaning to the universe. But his Greek audience would have understood that word, that logos, to be an impersonal force. It's not a personal being. And again, maybe some of you, that's how you view God. He's an impersonal force that can't really be known. We're just cosmic accidents. There's no real reason or purpose behind our existence. Maybe there is a creator out there, but I can't really know him personally. And as John sits down to write his account, he starts by saying, no, actually the one who gives the universe meaning can be known. He can be received and he can be rejected like a person, like an individual he was actually God, and he was with God in the beginning. Look at the next verse. He was with God in the beginning. John is repeatedly tying this logos, this personal creator, back to Genesis 1. And through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So this, this logos, this creator that gives ultimate meaning and purpose to life was the one through whom all things were made. When you ask a Bible-believing person who created the universe, most people will say, God. God created the universe, and that is correct. But here John says, well, actually, it was the Word. It was the Logos. It was Jesus who created all things. And here's his claim. 
about Jesus, his belief about who Jesus was. In him was life, and that life was the light. Not just to John, not just to church people, but the light and life of all mankind. Jesus came to bring light to everyone. People who believe him, people who don't. People who receive him, people who reject him. Jesus is the light of the world. And then John ends with this really big idea that we know to be true. It's just self-evident when you look at it. Here's what he, he applies it to Jesus. He says, the light shines in the darkness. And again, it is kind of hard for us to understand because we live in a world that light is so readily available. But John says, the light shines in the darkness. And, and can I just take just a side here? Some of you are in a season of darkness. Some of you are in a moment in your life of darkness. It seems like there's a little bit more darkness than there is light these days. But some of you, personally, in your own life, in your own family, in your own health, in, in your own marriage, in your own finances, in whatever it is, maybe you look at the world and you just see there's more darkness than there is light. I don't think anybody would disagree. But John doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop there. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Again, this is self-evident. It's amazing how much one little flame can light up a room. Did you notice that? It's amazing how much a little light can overcome a lot of darkness. And again, for some of you, we're coming to the end of a year where there was way more darkness than there was light. You're ready to put 2021 in the rearview mirror. Again, it's a personal thing. It's a family thing. It's a health thing. There's not a whole lot of life in your finances, your business, your addiction, your depression. You've experienced more darkness than light over the last year. And sometimes, can we just be honest? It feels like the darkness is winning. It can seem like the darkness is winning, but I just want to remind you tonight, I came to remind you tonight that if Christmas teaches us anything, if the birth of Christ teaches us anything, it teaches us that light always overcomes darkness. It always overcomes darkness, even when it feels like the darkness is winning, even when it feels like the darkness is all around you. It doesn't win. It can't win because the light dispels darkness. It shines in the dark. Do you notice that light doesn't shine in the light? You, it's, just, it's just light. We don't notice the light until it's dark. And that's John's claim about Jesus. That's the why behind the story of the shepherds and the manger and the baby in swaddling clothes. Jesus came into the world to bring light into darkness, to bring life in the midst of death. And the question is, if Jesus came 2,000 years ago to bring light, how has that impacted you? And I'm sure we could, we could start over here. We could pass a microphone all over the place. We'd be here all night, but we could pass a microphone all over the place. And some of you would have a story. Some of you would pass. But I think we all have a story of how Jesus has, has impacted. But I'll, I'll just go back to where we started. You only know a world that has been impacted by Jesus because you were born in A.D., not B.C., you only know a world 
We only know a world what it's like to have generosity and forgiveness and grace and hope and self-sacrificial love. Those all started with the Logos. They all started with the Word. They all started with Jesus. And you remove those things. You remove all the things Jesus gave the world. It gets really dark really quick. I want you to hear, not just from me, I want you to hear from a Yale historian who wrote about this. Here's a Yale Yale historian's perspective. He said, regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. If it were possible with some sort of super magnet to pull out of that history every scrap of metal bearing at least a trace of his name, how much would be left? It is from his birth that most of the human race dates its calendar. It is by his name that millions curse, and in his name that millions pray. See, we often think about, okay, Jesus' impact on my little life and my little family and our little church. But sometimes you just need to stand back and recognize the scope, the sheer awe-inspiring enormity of Jesus' impact in our world. Number one, it would would be hard to choose a less likely candidate to change the world than Jesus. He was not a political figure, had no connections with Herod or the Sanhedrin or Rome. He never never wrote a book. He never led any kind of military action. He never traveled that far from home. His followers were relatively uneducated and ridiculously unimportant people. I mean, the New Testament records itself that they were completely unschooled, ordinary men. But 2,000 years later, it's virtually impossible to imagine our world apart from his impact on it. I mean, imagine a world without Jesus's greatest contribution to the world, the church. No Notre Dame, no St. Paul's, no storefront churches in Boston, no house churches in China, no Grace Point Church in Topeka. What about the people No Peter, no Paul, no Mary, no Timothy, no Augustine, no Aquinas, no Francis of Assisi, no Mother Teresa, no Martin Luther or Martin Luther King, no Dietrich Bonhoeffer, no Joan of Arc, no John Milton, John Wesley, John Calvin, John Bunyan, or John the Baptist. Lots of Johns. How many charities would be non-existent? How much less would we know about science and mathematics? How many hospitals would never have been built, novels, poems, and plays never written? How much artwork would never be painted or sculpted? Barely scratch the surface here. But you take all of that away and the world gets a whole lot darker. Really, really quick. So you're going to gather with friends and family over the next couple days. And you're going to hopefully eat good food. And you'll open good gifts. And you'll play fun games, and you'll take great naps, hopefully. (laughs) And I just want to remind you today that all of those things are available to us not because you were born and raised in America. All of those things are available to you because 2,000 years ago, the light of the world dispelled the darkness. And he's still in the business of dispelling darkness today. So we come to this moment where some of you, this is the only reason you came. (laughs) You love this. This is one of my favorite Christmas traditions. Where we take one single light 
and we pass it on to the next person and the next person and the next person and the next person. And gradually, this room gets a little bit brighter. You start to see the light dispel the darkness. But this is, this is sentimental. I'll just admit it. It's sentimental to me because I grew up doing this in church. But it's also symbolic, right? Because Jesus passed on his light to his followers, and then they passed it on to the next generation, and then they passed it on to the next generation, and then they passed it on to the next generation, and then they passed it on to us. And now it's our turn to take our little light and pass it on to the next generation. Because the light, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So the ushers want to come forward. We will start passing the light all around this room. Father in heaven, thank you for sending your son to be the light of the world. And in a moment, we'll blow these candles out and the light will extinguish. But your word is true. That your son's light continues to expand, continues to encompass individual hearts, one person at a time. And Father, we, we praise you. We thank you for the gift of your son. We praise you. We thank you for what it means for us to have the word. God, would you help us as individuals, as families, as a church to do everything we can to take the light that you've given to us and spread it from person to person to person. We love you. We praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name.